are the others. And yes, they've taken Jack and Kate and Sawyer. I'm going to find our friends. I don't know how yet, but I will. We're going to find them, all of them. Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 303, entitled Further Instructions. This is the 52nd hour of the series, and there are 69 to go. And without any further ado, let's just jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for this episode. In flashbacks, Locke is a member of a commune. One day, Locke picks up a young hitchhiker named Eddie, who joins the commune. After six weeks, he asks Locke why he is never allowed to know what's going on in the greenhouse, into which he sees an exceptional amount of fertilizer going. Eddie expresses his discontent with being kept out of the secret and affirms to Locke his desire to be in on whatever you guys are trying to blow up. Locke laughs and says he will talk to the commune leaders, Mike and Jan. Upon entering the greenhouse sometime later, in which marijuana is grown, Locke finds Mike and Jan in the midst of a frantic preparation to flee. They blame Locke for bringing Eddie, who they have discovered is an undercover police officer. Locke promises to fix the situation. He takes Eddie hunting and holds Eddie at gunpoint. Eddie says that Locke was chosen because his psych profile said that he would be amenable for coercion. Eddie walks away, stating that Locke will not shoot him because he is a good man, though Locke insists that he is a hunter, not a farmer. On the island, John Locke wakes up in the jungle and sees a naked Desmond run by, but Locke cannot speak. In the frame of Echo's church, he builds a sweat lodge and convinces Charlie to stand guard. Locke takes a hallucinogenic drug and enters the lodge in order to speak with the island. There, Boone appears to him to help him find his way again, so that he can, quote, bring the family back together. Upon exiting the sweat lodge, Locke sees a flash of a polar bear. He recovers his ability to speak and tells Charlie that he is going to save Echo. Locke and Charlie track Echo, who Locke believes has been captured by a polar bear. They pause at a large pit in the ground where the hatch imploded. They encounter Hurley, who tells them that Jack, Kate, and Sawyer were kidnapped by the others, and that Henry Gale is their leader. While continuing back to the camp alone, Hurley finds Desmond naked and lends him an enormous tie-dyed t-shirt. Desmond says that the electromagnetic anomaly may have been destroyed, and Hurley questions why Desmond was not destroyed. Desmond mentions Locke's speech and his plan to save Jack, Kate, and Sawyer. However, Hurley responds, what speech? as Locke has yet to give any such speech. Desmond seems confused and drops the whole matter. Ultimately, Locke finds the polar bear's cave and rescues Echo from the polar bear. Upon arriving at camp, Hurley informs everyone that Jack and the others have been captured. As an explanation, John announces to the survivors that he plans to rescue Kate, Jack, and Sawyer, as Desmond indicated to Hurley earlier. Hurley mentions to Charlie a sense of deja vu. And with that, let's now jump into my thoughts about the episode. 
This, uh, it's an interesting episode because it's not bad. There's no badness to this, uh, perhaps discounting the, uh, the rather strange decision to have Echo uh, attacked by a, a polar bear and whatnot, which I suppose isn't that crazy given the, the things that we know about the polar bears and, and them being on the island and whatnot. But it's also not a great episode, and I think that that's because it is just kind of an action-packed, uh, kind of a go-go-go episode whose function is largely to get uh, the uh, these beach characters, you know, the non uh, the non uh, Dharma and Dharma related bunch. Uh, so you may recall as well that this was the uh, originally going to be the second episode, and that they moved things around, which I think was a certainly was a good change. But um, bottom line, it, it's just an interesting episode because there's not a lot of greatness to it. It's very action driven. It's very kind of, uh, you know, Locke's mission and uh, the the uh, flashback story similarly uh, kind of informs us about the, you know, Locke's need for family, which isn't particularly new territory. But anyhow, let's, let's jump into this episode proper. Uh, the recap, uh, it's an interesting place uh, that they start with the recap. It shows Locke, Echo, Desmond, and General Beach Folk. Certainly we're meant to be excited to see them return. Uh, and I think, too, it's a reminder of the daring scope of the show, uh, that we haven't uh, been with these people and been with this portion of the story for a, a good, good long while, particularly on first viewing, what it was May that we last saw them. Now we're into the third episode, which probably is taking us uh, into the neighborhood of October. Um, so, you know, an interesting, interesting bit there. But anyhow, the story proper opens with, of course, that eye shot. Uh, this time it's Locke, who's on his back in the brush, uh, and taking the place, I think, perhaps of, uh, of Vincent the Running Dog, a la Jack's Wake Up, is a naked running Desmond. Uh, with that, Echo's Jesus stick falls from the sky. I had to wonder if this was supposed to be God's vengeance, perhaps. Certainly it's, uh, if that's a real-life occurrence to you, that somebody's Jesus stick falls and, and nearly clunks you in the head, or, or does it clunk him in the head? I, d- I don't recall. But, uh, you know, if that's really happening, if it's not the construct of some story, maybe somebody's trying to send you a message. Anyhow, the, the story continues. Uh, Locke is back at the beach, and it feels like a real reunion. Claire, Charlie, they're all back. Uh, Charlie talks it out with John, and... Uh, there's some great comedy there out of Dominic Monaghan. Uh, bits about, you know, you want to talk to the sand. I've heard trees are great conversationalists. This kind of uh, translating that Charlie is doing as Locke is unable to speak. Uh, anyhow, finally Locke communicates that he wants to speak to the island. And uh, with that shocking news, the teaser act uh, ends, albeit in a rather zippy fashion. After the title card... Uh, Locke, with marker and paper, tells Charlie that he needs Charlie's help involving the sweat lodge. Uh, the flashback whoosh then takes us to Locke with hair, giving uh, hitchhiker Eddie a ride. Uh, and they're supposedly driving somewhere in the neighborhood of Eureka, although it does, as is oftentimes the case, it looks suspiciously like Hawaii. Uh, I'll mention, of course, too, that you can always keep track of Locke's uh, chronology of his flashbacks by keeping track of that hairline 
Uh, and, I mean, indeed, for all the crap that the show gets about its awful wigs, his is quite good. It really, it just, it works nicely. Uh, there's a rather surprising turn that Locke has all those guns in his truck. Of course, they're all legal, and he's able to, uh, you know, show the proper paperwork to the uh, the state trooper or the police officer who pulls them over. The uh, With that, the flashback ends, and shirtless, manly man Locke is making his hallucination talk to the island paste. Uh, there's a great one-liner from Charlie reminding Locke that Locke will punch any drug users in the face, even if that means Locke punching Locke. Uh, and it really is such a pleasure in this episode to see Charlie with his rat-a-tat jokes. It's, you know, as always, it's a pity that he'll be gone in 20 episodes or so. Uh, with that, Charlie takes up his guard post outside the sweat lodge, and uh, Locke eats the naughty paste and starts his hallucination communication. Uh, within moments, Boone returns or appears to share wisdom. It's always, always, always great to see Ian Summerhalder return. He, of course, was the first one fired. He's never bitter. He's always ready to come back and do his part for the show. And uh, just so nice to see him, um, you know, as the character of Boone. Nice to know that he was nice enough to come back. Uh, You know, he, in this case, being Ian Summerhalder, the actor. So just big thumbs up for him. Anyhow, Boone tours the imagined castaways at the Oceanic Ticket Counter. Uh, It's a nice touch that Jack, Kate, and Sawyer are separated and in line with security agent Ben. Uh, I also like, too, that Hurley is behind the ticket counter. I think that it belies a certain sense of uh, responsibility on his part, and, uh, you know, which, of course, is uh, something that he's headed toward in the the final season. And uh, just... uh, it, it it's a properly kind of trippy, weird scene. Uh, I, I, there's all sorts of different uh, kind of camera techniques that they're using. Things look very stark without being kind of the standard Vaseline on the lens, dreamlike quality. Um, we, of course, also have Locke, unable to walk, uh, who's crawling up the escalator to a bloody boon and a bloody, bloody Jesus stick. Proof that the message is to help Echo, who let's also not forget. His time on the show is waning because of his own decision to leave the show. And um, and again, just the, 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 whole, the whole scene, of course, it's a bit evocative of uh, Locke's dream, which I, was that a Boone flashback itself, or was that the episode where Boone gets injured? But the, uh, you know, the episode in the first season where Locke is dreaming uh, about Boone saying, uh, Teresa falls up the stairs, Teresa falls down the stairs, um, yes, that was a uh, that, that was a lock flashback because it had Swoozy Kurtz playing his mother, but um, just it's not quite as trippy as that dream sequence. Perhaps they realized that some of the questions raised by that dream sequence, like how Locke would know some of uh, the things that he learned from the dream, that it kind of wasn't internally consistent. So they just maybe dialed back on it a bit. There is, though, however, the question of how does Locke know about the things uh, for which he dreams? How does he know that Jack, Kate, and Sawyer are separate? And how does he know that they're with Ben? Um, I suppose there's no real answer. Um, Maybe he's tapping into some sort of wisdom of the island. Uh, But anyhow, no, 
no huge answer there. It's at the end of that uh, dream sequence that we go to an act break. Then Locke and Charlie uh, are on the hunt for Echo after we return. I I loved, to a certain degree, uh, I mean, there's a certain kind of uh, authorial uh, panache that we are, at this point, one-third of the way through the episode. And it's a very intimate episode. There's no real-life Jack-Kate Sawyer. Uh, we've had a little bit of Claire. We've had no real-life Sun Jin Saeed. It's just Charlie and Locke on the hunt, looking for their, for their uh, prey isn't quite the proper word, but looking for that polar bear, looking for Echo. Uh, Locke, at, at this point, sends Charlie back as nothing good happens to people with him, he says. And with that, we flash back to uh, that truck drive that we saw at the, you know, in the first flashback. It's ending up what looks an awful lot like a commune. I mean, from the first moment, it just looks like a commune. Hitchhiker Eddie starts to ask about uh, the place, all while taking off his coat to reveal, gasp, a Geronimo Jackson t-shirt, which of course is connected to very little other than giving us an opportunity to say it's a Geronimo Jackson t-shirt. It's nice as well to see how happy and settled Locke seems with his hippy-dippy commune, which he calls, of course, a real family. It's a setting that seems so permanent to him. Of course, we can we can know better from a variety of reasons. Locke has an awful time with family. Uh, we can uh, wonder if perhaps it's it's doomed just by the chronology of the show, knowing that at a certain point he ends up alone, bitter, angry in that wheelchair, and uh, well, it's just. It's uh, predictable indeed that it's it's meant to fall apart. Anyhow, back uh, to the island story. Uh, we get a shot that is absolutely better in HD. It's the Hatch Implosion site. Uh, it's a brief moment, but it's a reminder, too, that we'll be back here at the end of Season 5 and the start of Season 6. And while I was watching the episode, it made me think to myself, um, I believe it's accurate to say that the only season that we don't spend at least some time dealing with the hatch is season four. And I hope my memory holds up to that. I mean, certainly season one, they find the, the hatch door. Season two, they're in the hatch. Season three, we see this briefest bit of the hatch now, but but we see it nonetheless. Uh, season five, of course, we're seeing its construction. And season six, uh, you know, takes us back to moments after the... Uh, the uh, atomic bomb jughead exploded. But uh, anyhow, you might be sitting here watching the episode, you're pondering all of this, but before we get to too much pondering, that other polar bear that we've heard about is suddenly chasing Locke and Charlie. Uh, They run, and the show very wisely shows little of the polar bear. They're, of course, remembering, as I'm sure you do, those lousy polar bear shots in season one. Uh, They stop at a certain point. They hear a rustle. Locke throws his knife, this being a moment of great dramatic tension. The act ends after a man yells, and Hurley is revealed with a knife in his canteen. Ta-da! Hurley is back. Uh, At this point, you know, we're we're halfway through the episode. And, you know, I mentioned that just because, you know, I see here we are. We're about uh, 15 minutes, 51 seconds into the podcast, you know, I, I 
I certainly am not trying to skimp on the content of this episode. It just isn't a very content-heavy episode. Lots of action. We're now halfway through the uh, through the um, the episode proper, uh, you know, at least uh, of Lost. Uh, there's some mystery. There's little intrigue. Hence the lack of clips, which you know some are coming, but. Uh, it's and that's kind of why I say it's an odd episode because none of it is bad. Uh, it's interesting enough to see Locke kind of uh, a weak Locke flashback. I don't mean the story is weak. I mean Locke himself is rather weak in the flashback, contrasted with a very proactive and taking action uh, type of Locke in the On Island story. Uh, we we get you know we we get plenty of content in this episode. The the bear bit. While, I don't know, somehow it's vaguely um, unbelievable that the polar bear drags uh, people, as we'll learn. It's not just Echo. There's some, you know, the skeleton of a leftover Dharma person drags them back into its cave. Now, the flip side is, I guess that's what they do anyway. I mean, isn't that what a polar bear would do? Stalk a seal and then bring it back to home base and kind of enjoy it for a while. It somehow was kind of vaguely contrived um i know that there was more content to the episode which we'll discuss at uh, when we look at lostpedia uh some deleted scenes that i don't know would have changed things greatly but would have added some shading to it but it's just kind of action 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 go 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 and um you know i mean does this all make for a weaker episode you know it's it's fun and all but for example why is charlie helping hunt a bear Charlie hasn't got a knife, nor has he got a gun. He hasn't really insisted on going. He's just kind of along for the ride because they need to give him screen time, I think. And he hasn't gotten, uh, he hasn't got a baby to take care for, uh, or care of, rather, uh, like Claire does. He hasn't got a message to deliver, like Hurley. And he kind of isn't still unknown status, like Desmond and Echo. Um... So it's kind of like, well, therefore Charlie must go on this. Uh, I think that's rather the extent of it. Um, anyhow, at this point they approach the cave, they look at each other, and this takes us to a flashback. Now, maybe the Charlie and Locke on-island story is meant to reflect Eddie and Locke's flashback story. Uh, you know, it's kind of Locke in the dad position, and Eddie and Charlie in the... Uh, the son position of sorts, or the little brother position. At any rate, six weeks have gone by, and there's the secret greenhouse. Uh, Eddie, at this point, reminds Locke and us of the truck full of guns. I think it's, I don't know, to me, we're thinking drugs. That was just the take I I got, you know, that why else would you have a greenhouse and fertilizer? It's, you know, drugs. Um... Eddie says he wants in, but he's thinking domestic terrorism. He's thinking fertilizer going in there, fertilizer bomb, and that sort of thing. With that, we head back to the cave, and Charlie and Locke loudly arguing about who will go in there. Loudly. Outside of a cave that might have a giant bear that eats men. Big, kind of muscular men like Echo. They're going to have a you know, big yelling match outside of. If there's a complaint about the episode, there you go. Uh, with that commando style, Locke rubs mud on his face. He makes a torch. He readies hairspray, ostensibly to explode on the bear if needed. 
And indeed, it was around this time on my rewatch here for the podcast that I started to remember that Echo really was taken by a bear. Which, you know, again, seems kind of slightly ridiculous to me, but as I said a few minutes ago, I suppose it's internally consistent to a certain point. With that, Locke enters the cave. There's a high moment of tension, so of course we have an act break. Then, another story. Hurley being stalked by something scary. A big, naked Desmond. Bear? Is that you? Who's there? Are you alone, brother? Uh, yeah. Whoa, dude. I'm not alone. You just camped right over there. Can you give me some clothes? What happened to yours? I woke up in the jungle like this. So... Like the hatch blew off your underwear. Fine. You want to discuss this in great detail right now? No, no, that's okay. I think I got something in here. So yippee, the return of my my favorite seasons one through six favorite overall character, Desmond. And it's kind of uh, Desmond 2.0, as we will learn uh, fairly shortly. Uh, you know, it's kind of Desmond with that uh, that slightly new outlook on life, the weird kind of time shiftiness, uh, and of course, right at the end of the clip, there Desmond is now clothed. Little uh, side comment: Didn't old JC say, "If I am naked, would you clothe me?" Anyhow, uh, with that, we head back to Locke in the creepy cave, which kind of reminded me of the cave at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. You need to. Go in there and be a man and face your fear. Uh, Anyhow, uh, Locke also steps on the remnants of the computer, that button that he was so dedicated to. Uh, Then we flash back to the hippy-dippy commune family, which at this point we can kind of predict will fall apart and disappoint Locke at some point. And right on cue, Locke goes to talk with Mike and Jan, the hippy-dippy commune leaders, A.K.A. Locke's surrogate mom and dad. Screwed up, John. You blew it big time. What are you... What what, what are you doing? Are you leaving? Why? That is why, you idiot! John, your friend's a cop. You know how much jail time we get for this much weed? Nice picture, huh? Got him fresh out of the academy. He was he was hitchhiking. He told me he was going to Eureka. How he was waiting for you, John. He has been here for six weeks gathering evidence because you brought him here. Oh, Mike, that's impossible. He played you for a sucker. Now it's over. No. Wait. Wait. No, wait, wait. Stop! We don't know what he's told him. He hasn't even been in here yet. If he's still gathering evidence and trying to make a case, then it's not too late. Not too late for what? To protect us, to protect all of us. It's not too late to fix this. If I can fix this. How are you going to do that, John? Huh? It's a tad obvious, but I love how Mike and Jan turn from really being kind of genuinely nice people around that big, long, outdoor dinner table where they're asking John to say prayers, and they're kind of, you know, clearly just these happy, hippy-dippy folk. And 
how they just turn mean and nasty when when that you know that that uh, main source of income is is now under fire they're just you know as i say mean and nasty there's just a snarl to jan's face there's a sarcasm to mike and uh it's i mean it's fun it's fun uh it's kind of predictable. Not that I'm being critical of that. I mean, this isn't this how Locke's stories always end? Um, but uh, it's it, there's just a nice kind of nice zip to it. Uh, with that, we're back in the cave, and there are bones. There's a quick shot of a skeleton with a Dharma pearl logo on it, and then of course, bloody echo. Rather predictably, the bear pulls him with a few good scares to us at home. Locke also rather predictably shoots the hairspray fire, rather predictably gets Echo out, and then Charlie's presence is revealed because he has to help carry Echo. Then there's the act break. Fast-paced indeed. It, it, it zips along. Um, there's also, there's just not a ton of there there. You know, oh great, there's a Dharma guy that the bear got. Well, okay, ooh, what mystery is that? Well, uh, there was a Dharma guy out there and the bear got him. As I think the Lostpedia bit says at the end, there is also, you know, there's kind of like, well, it must have been after the purge, and there's kind of some timeline business there. But, you know, I mean, it also just could have been some guy out there taking a leak as as the Dharma uh, Pearl uh, minder. So, anyhow, after the act break, there's Hurley and Desmond who recap for us while giving exposition and foreshadowing. As you'll hear in this clip, it's a tad clunky. It's, you know, also, I suppose, a bit necessary by the writers, but oh well. Let's take a listen. So, when you say turn the key, you mean like a key key? That was a, a fail-safe key. That seems kind of convenient. I'm sorry? I'm just saying, if you had this magic key the whole time, why didn't you, like, use it? I didn't know what would happen. So what did happen? Well, the failsafe key must have detonated the electromagnetic anomaly. Made the hatch implode. You didn't implode? No. You're not gonna, like, turn it into the Hulk or something? <laughs> As I say, I, you know, I mostly play that because it's an example of exposition and it's an example of, uh, of recap. Um... It's, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of that necessary evil where some of that stuff needs to be really spelled out for the people all the way at the back of the audience, uh, to kind of use a theater metaphor. It really needs to be clear to everyone. Um, I think perhaps they're also thinking new viewers uh, might be out there. Um, so just to bring everybody up to speed... Uh, there is also that little whiff there foreshadowing. So, so you didn't blow up, Hurley says. You didn't uh, detonate. You know, what's the deal with you, Desmond? What makes you different? And uh, that, of course, is at the point where the clip turns weird and we get a big season three clue. The whole island vibrated. And Kate and Jag and Sawyer saw it too right before they had bags pulled over their heads. Don't worry. Log's going to go after them. He said so in a speech. What? What speech? All he said he was going to save Echo and kill bears. Right. Right, of course. I'm sorry. I, 
this at all. Hooray! It's time-traveling Desmond to release the start of it. He's getting these flashes before his eyes of other things going on. He's been slightly dislodged from the normal timeline. It's uh, the start of a science fiction-y time-travel show, and it's being done in this very slow, quiet way, where they're just sneaking in our science fiction. Uh, I know that time-travel, I think, was something that ABC in season one was absolutely opposed to, and uh, here we have it just starting to to, to sneak back in. Uh, with that, we head back to uh, Echo, Charlie, and Locke. The notion of uh, Locke cleaning up his own mess, a la what Boone told him, is then painfully spelled out. Uh, is this for new viewers? Is this for lazy ones? Is this to address the gap in time between the finale and now? Uh, I'm not quite sure. But uh, anyhow, speaking of cleaning up your own mess, uh, we then flash back to Locke, and uh, it's no longer uh, Hitchhiker Eddie, it's now Cop Eddie. They're out hunting. Locke quickly gets his gun on Eddie, who uh, then quickly tells Locke that Locke was picked due to being easily coerced. Yes, that's right. Locke has been played yet again. Locke threatens to shoot Eddie, and Eddie simply walks away while Locke does nothing. Certainly a, a condemnation of the character there, who, again, let me say, as beloved as he is, I think a lot of that uh, love that we have for Locke comes from how he's presented in the early episodes, uh, how he's presented particularly in Walkabout as the ultimate man of action, the ultimate person of action that we wish that we could be in situations like, uh, you know, in, in any crisis. Um, however, you know, he, he rather falsely leads us to the hatch, or certainly falsely leads Boone to the hatch, to Boone's demise. Yes, you know, the, the, the direction of the, the story overall of the series would have been impossible without the hatch, without Desmond, without Desmond, uh, being this Jesus Christ metaphor, etc., etc. But Locke's life overall is that of a failure, uh, not picked by Richard when he's a boy. Um, the whole, you know, uh, not loved by his father repeatedly, being duped by his father, being duped by his mother, uh, so on and so forth. It's just, you know, down to Locke's death, a meaningless death that he has in some, you know, uh, hotel room or apartment in, in Los Angeles. It's just, eh, there's... there's it's kind of, uh, he's a small, pathetic man, uh, despite the sliver of him that we see where we, where we want to feel otherwise. Um, anyhow, back uh, to the island. Charlie goes on water duty so that Locke and Echo can have a heart-to-heart. Locke monologues an apology and basically summarizes exactly what's going on. Our people are captured. The button should have been pushed. Locke imagines Echo telling him nifty, supportive things. You'll find your friends. You are the hunter. Eh. Finally, they return to camp. We are introduced to Nikki and Paolo. Let their death watch begin. Uh, Of course, as we'll talk about in the Lostpedia uh, section in a bit, uh, they initially were going to be introduced in a bit more flashy way, if you want to call it that. Um, However... 
I like that they, you know, if there's going to be this conceit, which ultimately is a failed conceit, but if there's going to be this conceit of we're going to bring the back, you know, two background characters forward, two of those people who don't get the main stories, we're going to bring them forward. We'll imagine because the characters didn't exist until this episode, but we're going to bring them forward. Um, I kind of like that it's just done in a casual way where they're, you're like, who's this guy? Who's that woman who's all of a sudden yelling? And, you know, usually these people stay in the background. Then there's just this kind of like, you know, Nikki, you go to, go do this. Paolo, you go do that. And you're like, it's kind of this fun little catch catch up moment. And, you know, I'll say this too. So fine, Nikki and Paolo, it turns out, you know, I look them up on Wikipedia after the episode. They're in a whopping six episodes. One is an episode that I kind of like. It's expose, and I like it because they both die. Um, so, you know, that's the one at the end. This is episode number one. We have four to go. Was was there really that much fuss and that much dislike over them? Um, if so, I guess we'll be reliving it together, dear listeners. Uh, but anyhow, we go from this inauspicious start for them, and then move on to the introduction of Locke's great speech. You all right? Yeah, just keep, keep on. Hey! John? Charlie? What happened? We got him. Is he alive? We need Jack. Pick him in. Jack's not coming back. They've got him. What? What are you talking about? Jack's gone? I don't understand. Okay, when were you planning on telling us this, Hurley? What do you mean they? Who's they? They are the others. And yes, they've taken Jack. And Kate and Sawyer. How? What happened? What about Sun and Jin and Saeed? Are they okay? I don't know. I'm going to find our friend. I don't know how yet, but I will. We're going to find them, all of them. And then we're going to bring them home. But first things first, we've got to look after Mr. Echo. So Paolo and Nikki bring towels and water. Claire, we've got to clean them up, so bring all the first aid supplies you can find. Hurley is, of course, stunned to see that Desmond has predicted the rousing speech that was given there by Locke. Not a bad speech. Got here with, you know. Deja vu. Okay. Well, when that wears up, can you get bandages in the kitchen? This really is a case of Chiquino's music playing the scene, as they say. There's just such a an otherworldly qualityness to it, this kind of hollowness that you're hearing now. Clearly, we're meant to be drawing attention to uh, Desmond as, you know, it, it, it's kind of a musical arrow saying, look here, there's something that's really, really important, something that's going to be sticking around, something that you're going to have to deal with as watchers of the show, and something that the, the other castaways are going to have to deal with uh, within their own universe, and um, it certainly is the episode going out on its on its uh, strongest note. And also, speaking of notes, there's kind of that. It's not a, a, a gong, but there's kind of a bong bit to the music there, which I think might 
be achieved with the strings. I'm not quite sure. Um, did kind of seem evocative of a bell ringing, you know, bell ringing time, and then kind of the the time travel. Although time travel is a bit of a strong word for it, but the 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 temporal nature of Desmond that we'll be exploring uh, throughout this season. So certainly, uh, you know, the episode ends stronger than it was for most of it, and uh, the episode is certainly a first step into a larger world. And with that, uh, let's take a look here at Lostpedia. Again, I kind of, you know, I apologize that this podcast is itself zipping along, but it's just that there simply isn't a ton of content to the episode. It's bear chases and bear being pulled by the bear and running away from the bear and it's a lot of this. There's not a ton to, to, to chew over. It's a, it's a lean episode. But luckily there's some great stuff from Lostpedia, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll spend a bit more time together, dear listeners. Uh, first, uh, when Locke is dragging himself, this is in his, uh, not flashback, but in his uh, hallucination, when Locke is dragging himself up the escalator using his arms, the same mechanical noise found in Exodus Part 2, when Locke is being dragged through the jungle by the monster, can be heard. So, I think uh, a fitting kind of weird, trippy decision there. Uh, also mentioned, you know, something that we had discussed already, one of the skeletons in the polar bear cave was wearing a shirt with the logo of the pearl on it. it seems likely that they were Dharma Initiative staff members, likely killed after the bear escaped during the purge. All makes sense, all consistent, all, all fine. Uh, here's another another uh, interesting comment here, and one that I, I touched on a bit as well, but it's uh, it's worth repeating. Uh, the survivors in Locke's vision are grouped together the way they are in real time, not as they were left in the season two finale when Locke last knew about them. Jack, Kate, Sawyer with Ben. Of course, the last Locke knew, Hurley and Michael were with them, and Ben had not yet gained control of them. Uh, he also sees Saeed with Jin and Son. Uh, Locke was uh, in the Swan when all three of them had decided to leave together. Desmond as a pilot, alone and enjoying himself, we're told. He was missing at the time, and uh, in his fla- uh, flashback flashes before your eyes. That starts with him when he turns the key and ends when he wakes up in the jungle. And Hurley separated from the rest. He was traveling to the beach, uh, back to the beach at the time. Uh, typing the numbers into the Swan computer at the Oceanic check-in. So, hope that wasn't kind of too convoluted there with a lot of the parenthetical statements and whatnot, but just, you know, an interesting little bit that Locke sees everybody as they are, not as they were. Um, Now, a couple of bits of deleted scenes here. There was a deleted scene from the episode in Locke's flashback after his confrontation with Eddie in the forest. Locke returns to the commune to find the uh, final stages of a police raid. Mike, Jan, and the other members have all been arrested. As Locke peers at the scene from the edge of the forest, Eddie looks towards him, but it is not clear if he is spotted. Locke turns and escapes into the forest. Um, I'm sure that they cut that for time. I mean, you know, as I said, it's, a, it's not a very deep episode, but it, it does move along. It's not for lack of stuff being shot. Um, I think as well, I kind of I could do without that deleted scene. I mean, on the one hand, it's nice knowing that Locke really did bring the downfall of this family that he mistrusted and whatnot. On the flip side, what does it really get you? 
gets you that his actions have consequences? Well, we know that. We know that a thousand different ways. And it was never really about him bringing down this pot-growing commune. It was about how he had once again made a poor choice. He was a poor leader, and he didn't fit in with the group. Uh, and the fact that it really, you know, the guy really is a cop, and that Mike and Jan need to pack up and get out of there, none of that has changed whether they get out of there and then run straight into the police who are walking down the driveway, or or they make it, you know, they make it onto the next pot-selling adventure on their own. So there's uh, another deleted scene that introduces Nikki and Paolo. Claire finds them knocking boots inside Jack's tent. So... As I said, that I could do without. Not you know, not because it's a licentious scene. You know, I say bring it on, but you're really gonna like. How are we supposed to like these people when it's gonna be? You know, it, the show always struggles with introducing. Maybe the show doesn't struggle. I think we as an audience struggle with the new people who come in because they're not like our old favorites, and we end up liking them too. Miles, Charlotte. Daniel, you know, all these people are welcome additions. But how are we supposed to like these new people who, quote-unquote, have been there the whole time, which is already a weird proposition? And then there they are kind of, I mean, I'd almost say kind of defiling Jack's tent. You know, Jack and the others went off to go solve this great problem and and meet uh, the bad guys head-on. It's just disrespectful. It's presenting these characters in a disrespectful way. And um, I don't know. Maybe they were all always going to be set up to be, you know, kind of a la and Lucia, you know, given a, given a fiery exit. But I'm glad that scene got cut. It's useless. It's much more interesting, as I said. Much, much, much more interesting to have them casually appear where we're saying... Well, who's that? He's new. Did what? What's going on? And then just saying, "Hey, Paolo, go get some bandages. Hey, Nikki, go boil some water. Go get the antiseptic." It's it, it's a much more interesting way to introduce them as a non-introduction and go, you know, aha, they've been here all along. That's the that's the conceit of it. But now we're introducing them. But we're not introducing them like we're introducing them. So that's much better. One uh, one last little bit here from uh, from Lostpedia. Charlie says that he's heard that trees are great conversationalists. This is part of the whole, you know, who's Locke trying to talk to. Lostpedia goes on to say, This is a winking reference to Dominic Monaghan's role in the Lord of the Rings movies, where his character spends time talking to Ents, a race of large, sentient trees. So, that's a fun little moment there. I'll, 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 I'll give them that. That's, that's cute. Um, and that is where our bit for the podcast this week will end <laughs> rather abruptly perhaps uh, I, I admit that wasn't super smooth but I'm glad that we're I mean by the time we're all said and done we'll be up to the 45 minute mark so I feel I feel better about that uh, looking ahead to next week next week is episode 304 every man for himself and I'll mention too I'm enjoying these uh, at least these first six episodes I, you know, or, or here we are with the first three anyway I'm enjoying them more than I remembered first time round. I'm really wondering if just somehow I was uh, hitting them in the wrong mindset or you know wanted something more profound for our our six weeks of lost before it, it went away again for a good chunk of time. Um, 
I'm I'm enjoying myself. This is uh, not the not the slogging through that I thought it would be. However, look on the horizon. We still have Jack's stupid tattoo. So, uh, a reminder that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcast Network on Fridays. I also would welcome you to uh, be watching the television show Alcatraz, whose ratings have not been great, but it's uh, it's great fun. It's kind of diet lost. Which, uh, on the one hand, you might say, oh, well, I want, I want nothing but the original. On the flip side, you know, some of the frustrations that we all had with Lost, they're clearly, uh, from, from the word go, they're trying to avoid that. They're trying to have a little bit more payback. They're trying to have a little bit more of a familiar uh, shape to episodes week to week. And uh, it's been great fun. And it's fun that we've also had myself and some of my pals from phgeek.com uh, we've been doing the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com, and uh, that's been doing quite well. And uh, certainly uh, welcome you to check out that podcast at alcatraz.podbean.com or by searching uh, iTunes for the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com. And uh, kind of join the discussion there. Hopefully the show is on for uh, for a good number of seasons. As I say, the ratings haven't been super great, so... Now is the time to jump aboard. But anyhow, back to uh, back to this podcast. Uh, you can share feedback in a bunch of ways. You can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And you can always find the show on iTunes where reviews are always appreciated. So, thank you very much for listening. I hope that this was as uh, enjoyable a podcast as usual. Given that, as I said, there was a bit less, uh, a bit less to the episode itself. But, but, say uh, la vie, say la vie. That's the way it goes. It's always great fun getting together with you. Talk to you all again next week for episode 304, Every Man for Himself. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.